Hey guys, and welcome to Fika with Rice, a podcast about life hacks, inspirational life stories, routines, and keys to success. I'm your host, Frederick Van Hoon, and each week I meet some of the most incredible people in the world from self-made millionaires, best-selling authors, experts, and world-class athletes. My goal is to extract their wisdom, mindset, tools, so you can use them in your daily life, but above all, to inspire you. Let's get this Fika started. Welcome to episode 11 by Fika Wood Rice. This week we meet incredible Ani Turisdottir, the two times fittest woman on earth, the champ of champs of CrossFit, a mega inspirational woman. Ani was one of the reasons why I personally started to train CrossFit a few years ago and is a big role model for a lot of people around the world. In this episode we go deep and we hear Ani's advices on how to develop self-confidence, how to dare to be yourself, her upbringing and how important parent support is, motherhood and her best advices to young girls and boys out there. A super inspirational and deep conversation filled with gold nuggets of following your dreams no matter what pay and dare to be yourself. This is Annie's story. Let's go. Good morning, Annie. Welcome to Fika with Rice. I'm really excited and honored to have you here uh, on our show. You've been a huge inspiration. Um, to myself since I discovered CrossFit a few years ago. And um, so a big, big, big thank you for being here with me today. Well, thank you. So it's exciting to go on different channels. <laughs> Great. Uh, I wanted to, to kickstart this conversation by asking you, what did your mother and your father teach you about being self-confident and comfortable in your own skin? Wow. Um... I guess they, they always pushed me to dare to try new things and to challenge myself. And it didn't matter what it was that I wanted to do. They always supported it as long as I would commit to doing it. It was never if I wanted to start doing track and field or wanted to learn how to play a guitar or whatever that was, they would always fully support me. They would pay for it, but I had to then show up and I had to commit to doing it for that whole season. Then obviously I could quit if it wasn't what I wanted to do, but they, they taught me to always make sure to give things a proper chance and never half-ass anything. And I think that's a very big lesson that I got from them. Um, I have two older brothers and it was never, it was never that I couldn't do something because I was a girl. It was never that I wasn't as strong as they were because I was a girl or I wasn't as fast as they were because I was a girl. It was obviously I was younger, uh, but there was never any discrimination when it came to that. It obviously I wasn't allowed to do everything that they were maybe allowed to do that were dangerous things, but we had, for example, my grandpa had this like pull-up bar, and every time you did a strict pull-up, you would get money, like a small coin and I saw that coin. And every time you added, you did more and more reps. And every time you got one more rep, you got a small coin. And it was the same for girl and boys. And I, I destroyed my brothers. 
<laughs> and it was, I don't know. I feel like every time there was a challenge, my dad like challenged us to lie and let a cold wave go over us in the ocean or something like it was always, I was always let to be a part of it. And I feel like there was never, you know, like I said, any discrimination between me, them, or anyone else. So I never even, I never even thought about it, that whole body image, to be honest, until I started competing and getting the questions. How is it to be a girl with muscles and do people look at you differently or whatever that is? I don't feel like it's been like that. And I think that's largely due to the way that I was raised and also just the culture here in Iceland. I don't know if I fully answered your question. I just went on a rant there. <laughs> no, I, I love that. I love that story uh, and how your father and your grandfather was teaching you courage and being brave because, um, I mean, I'm not a father yet, you know, I hope to yeah. be in the future, uh, but... I can't imagine myself, you know, like you have your precious child, whether that's little girl or little boy, and you'd be like, okay, go through cold water. Let's sit there and let's see how long we can sit there, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. As long as it's not dangerous. And it was even at water parks when we started going to those things, like I, I sometimes didn't dare to go, like I was afraid. And then my mom didn't know about this until later, but. My dad would like bribe me. He'd be like, if you hurt yourself, I will give you like a case of soda or candy or something that I wanted. And that made me be like, all right, so either I'm going to have super, super fun or if I hurt myself, I'm going to get a treat that I want. So there is no lose in this situation. It's just a win-win. And then I would go and it would get me to dare to go. And it was always so much fun. Like it was, I never hurt myself. I sometimes thought about it. I was like, should I say that I hit my hand? <laughs> but it was always so much fun. So it was, I'm very grateful for him to push me because otherwise I would be missing out on so many of those experiences. Why do you think he did that, Annie? I, and I love that, by the way. <laughs> I think he did it because he didn't want me to lose out or miss out on anything. Yeah, I knew he... I was going to be fine. And he knew that I wanted to. It's like those anxious jitters that you get in your stomach that everyone gets at some point in their life. If it's like you get it for public speaking or you get it before you compete. And now I've started embracing that feeling. Like it's, oh, I just get like jitters thinking about it. But it's like that. It's your body making you ready to step outside of your comfort zone or you're doing something that you're very nervous about. But when you do it, the feeling while and afterwards is so rewarding. And I think he wanted to make sure that I, he could, he could tell when I really wanted to do something, but I was just a little bit scared to do so. And I'm sure every time you did something that scared you, it's, you, you were stepping out of your comfort zone and you grew whether you knew it or not. Exactly. Right? Exactly. It helped me to grow and become the person that I am now. Yeah. 
And then later on, I started signing up for these stupid challenges and things and doing it to myself. <laughs> What's the fun thing that you did that afterwards? I mean, not when you were pregnant, but before that, that made you step out of your comfort zone. Wow, probably one of the bigger things I did was when I was 19. I signed up for Hell Weekend here in Iceland. And that's like, yeah, you sign up and you pay for this thing. And then you're <laughs> forced to stay up for like 40 something hours and just exercise. And we were at the, like, it was the most brutal night. We were at the ocean here in Iceland. And it's like, yeah, it's in the summer, but it's still freaking cold. And they kept on making us run into the ocean, roll up in the sand. And we were just wearing these like khakis and boots. And it was like military outfits. And then you're just standing on the beach and you had to do burpees and squats. And you had like your own seal group that you were with. And like mentally, it was one of the hardest things I've done. But it never crossed my mind to quit. And I think... I think it made me mentally so strong afterwards to do that. But thinking about it, I'm like, it's probably not the smartest thing, like injury-wise and physically, but mentally, it was one of the better things I've done. Another thing I did also when I was 19, I signed up to run an ultra marathon um, in the mountains here in Iceland. Uh, it's called Lögavören. And it's... 50 something kilometers and I did not train for that I just wanted to prove a point <laughs> I, was I, in, I was in track and field at the time I was doing pole vaulting and my goal was to go to the Olympics and pole vaulting but I was always doing boot camp and competing in these different uh, competitions and some of my friends had run that run. And then obviously there's a lot of pro runners that are training track and field. And they were talking about doing this ultra marathon. And I was like, oh yeah, some of my friends in boot camp are thinking about doing that. And they're like, oh, you need to train for it. Like you can't just run it. And one of them had had to quit like one of them, the better ones that actually run it the year before. And he had to quit about halfway through and get like IV and stuff because it got so dehydrated and started cramping so much. And I'm like, no, 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 you can do it without training for it. Like as long as you have a really good engine, you don't have to run tens, tens of kilometers a day. Like that's going to destroy your body too. As long as you have some kilometers in your legs and you have endurance and head, you can run it. And they're like, no, you cannot. So I was like, whatever, I'm going to sign up and I'm going to do it. <laughs> I kind of regretted saying that, but then I signed up and I did it. And it was... It was one of the more fun runs I've ever done, but my body was so destroyed the day after. Like, we also had some drinks and stuff in the evening, and we all camped, and I slept on an air mattress with no air in it. And then I woke up the day after, and I'm like, I called my parents. I'm like, you need to pick me up. I think I ruined my body. I cannot walk. <laughs> so... Good, good memories, and I'm very grateful that I did it. But again... Probably not the smartest thing to do, but it was memorable. And now I actually kind of want to do this run again because now I've trained more and I'm a little bit 
more experienced. Uh, so I think it would be fun to do this run again. <laughs> Oof, I, I love those stories, Annie. Uh, like, so this is little Annie. <laughs> sorry? So this is little Annie making decisions. <laughs> exactly. No, but I love that. Um, and, you know, um, you know, during the pandemic, I was thinking to myself too, you know, I was doing a lot of reflection. Um, and I was like, you know what? I need to go back being the little Freddy again, you know? And I was like making four or five like scary goals that put me outside of my comfort zone, like as goals this year. So very that, cool. So, I, I mean, I love those athletic things, but I was like, you know what? I'm going to try salsa dance. I'm a terrible dancer, but I'm just going <laughs> to go for it. You'll see what happens, you know? I think we grow from It's going to be so much fun. I yes. think so. It is. Like, every time you do something that's, like, different, challenging. Like, I did a twerk class in New York, and, oh, my God, I was bad at it. I'm so stiff and all of that, but... Man, that was fun. Like, <laughs> I think so. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, you have done a lot of things uh, already, Annie. And when you were young, you were dancing ballet. What did you dream of when you were dancing? And what did you visualize for yourself when you, when you grew up? I was always going to become a doctor. Oh, wow. Yeah, that was the plan. Since I was, I don't know. 10, 11 years old, I decided I wanted to be a doctor. And the interest in that just grew with the years. I've always been very interested in the body, um, how everything functions and everything that we can do. And then I've always been very athletic and very competitive, but the plan was never to do that as a career though uh that was supposed to be like to the side um so that changed <laughs> no i yes i did i did gymnastics growing up and then i quit gymnastics it just wasn't really working anymore i was training 25 hours a week and i was going to a very difficult school here in iceland i chose I chose the one that would prep me the most for medical school when I went to high school. And that's around 15 years old. You go to high school here in Iceland. And I um, decided then to quit gymnastics so that I would have time to focus on my studies and all of that. And you can't go from 24 hours a week uh, to nothing. Uh, that was an awful decision. Um, so I started doing dance and I took. Uh, has to go into the dance academy here in Iceland. I had done ballet, like we did ballet two times a week with gymnastics just to help help us in the gymnastics. And I really enjoyed that. Uh, so I started doing that, but that wasn't really enough for me. I got in and all of a sudden that was like insane amount of classes a week as well. Like it's like I can never do something just for the fun. Um, and I just felt like it wasn't really like I wasn't, it was fun, but, and it was really challenging and ballet is like extremely challenging, but I also like something high paced and sweat a lot and just like get to go. Like I needed an outlet. So I started doing boot camp at the same time. That does not go hand in hand, by the way. Um, and I only did then ballet for about a year and I realized like that wasn't 
what I was passionate about. It was fun, but I knew I wasn't going anywhere with it. So I started doing track and field and I went into pole vaulting and I actually loved that. I loved jumping. I loved the feeling going upside down and like shooting myself in the air. And I got the most incredible teacher. Like she had been to the Olympics for Iceland uh, in pole vaulting. And she had the exact same background as I did from the gymnastics. So I was like, I'm going to go to the Olympics. I became the Icelandic champion indoors and outdoors that year. And I was like, I'm going to, like I made plans to go to the Olympics 2012. Uh, this was 2008 and nine that I did this. Yeah, 2008, seven, eight, and nine. And then it just wasn't enough for me. Like doing pole vaulting, we were always doing the same thing. I wanted to do something else. So I kept on doing boot camp alongside it, signing up for these random, we had these like fitness competitions here in Iceland where you, do like a bunch of sit-ups and box overs and then push-ups and then you do bench press and then you run an incline and like it's just like all set up in like this hall and then you just go through it once for time and I started competing in that and winning that and it was so much fun so I was doing that alongside with pole vaulting and then one of the random competitions I signed up for was CrossFit and that was 2009 and I won that competition, got a spot at the CrossFit Games. And I was like, all right, I got two months to figure out what this thing is. <laughs> and that was Love the it. same year as my uh, test to get into med school was. Um, and I went to the Games and it was just so amazing. It was, it's really like tacky maybe to say it, but... I feel like I finally found myself. Like I found my sport, obviously. It was, it had everything. It was endurance. It was strength. It was gymnastics and skill and finesse and technique. And it was just everything. And after that experience, I was like, I need to give this a shot. There was no money across it at that time. It wasn't like I could do this for the money. It was the title, Fittest Woman on Earth. And it was just the most amazing competition I've competed in. So I decided to give it another shot, even though a lot of people thought I was maybe a little bit crazy not to go to med school and to take a chance with that. But sometimes you need to take a chance in life. And I, it just felt right. And my parents supported me. I don't understand how, but they supported me. Well, like, yeah, do this for one year and then you see what you want to do. And yeah, here we are like 11, 12 years later. I don't know if I answer your question, like how I feel when I was doing ballet, but I guess the feeling was, I always wanted something more. I always needed something more. And I'm not going to say that ballet isn't challenging. It's probably one of the more challenging sports ever, but it's challenging in a different way. I, I wanted an outlet more of a competition someone standing up as a winner i am um, i find that really interesting because i what when i'm hearing you it seems that you're you found your your real passion when you were doing the um icelandish sport which was push-ups burpees and then running <laughs> around indoors and you yeah. wanted that right so 
And then when you found a CrossFit, because you were so curious and you found CrossFit, um, you sort of like, you found yourself, you know, like it's. Yes, absolutely. It's, yeah. yeah, it was so cool. I can imagine. Yeah. And you because know, because it was so difficult at the same time. And I was like, I couldn't just like muscle my way through things. I had to. I had to practice more skills. I failed in that competition, by the way. I was in, I did amazing. And I was in second place going into the final event. But then we had ring muscle ups and I had never done that before. And I managed to get one done. So I got my first one there, which I was excited about. But just finishing the workout, even last place, finishing the workout, just getting through it, I would have ended up in second place overall. But I didn't manage to finish those muscle ups. So I failed. But I think... That was probably a really, really good thing for me that I failed because I, I found something that I couldn't just like muscle my way out of. Like I had to work more on, you know, it was that challenging for me and that got me excited. It's interesting to, to hear that you say that you failed because... It was the first time you did CrossFit and <laughs> you were the second, like you were on the podium, you know, on the CrossFit yeah. team, um, which for those that don't know anything about CrossFit is basically the world championships of being fittest on earth. You have to know how to swim fast in open water, uh, climb ropes, lift heavy, walk on your hands and, you know, do ring rows and, and, and <laughs> like that. But you know what? It's interesting that you say that you, you failed and then you became the, the fittest on earth twice, you know, because um, I've, I've read that a lot of because you were talking about doing Hell Week on Iceland. And I've read mm -hmm. that those men and women that survive Hell Week and buds in the U.S., it's not the athletes. It's not those that are, have been always been the number one. It's always those that are the misfits, those that are, have failed in life, those that have not really done anything extraordinary. And those are the ones that actually can survive because they have that drive in them. You know, they're not, they, they are used to fail and yeah. they know how it feels. And those that are the champions and have always been the number one in high school and so on, they don't know how it feels to be defeated, you know? So when they, when they get that failure during hell week, it really breaks them down mentally and they can't finish the, the week. Well, I can totally understand that though. Like I get what you mean. That's interesting, interesting because I've thought about it. Like the way that I felt when I competed at the games, when I have won the games and then I competed the year after that was probably one of the hardest I'm not going to say the hardest because I've gotten a heat stroke at the games and had to withdraw, but one of the harder mentally years for me because of the pressure that you put on yourself. And when you started failing, it was, it was very hard for me because I just wanted to give up, you know? So I got to that like cross cross point, I guess, where like we had to have a real talk, sit down and like, okay, I need to just, come to terms with, I'm not going to win the games again, but I've worked my ass off and I'm going to continue competing and I'm going to enjoy it because I have, I deserve it. I deserve to be here and I deserve to compete and I deserve to show how good I am. So it's like, that was a mental barrier to have to go through. So it's very interesting to hear you say that. I guess I hadn't like, 
I wasn't anyone when I did that competition. And I just wanted to prove to myself that I could do these things. And I think that's what I've learned throughout the years. That's the drive that you need to go with, that you're doing it for you, that you're not doing it for your sponsors. You're not doing it for anyone else. It doesn't matter what other people think. You've earned in, you've put in the hard work and you deserve to show that. And you deserve to. You owe it to yourself to do everything that you can do in that situation. That's very cool. It is. It's really interesting to to hear that. It's not the first time I hear it, but it's interesting to hear it from your mouth, uh, Annie. Yeah. That you're saying that, well, when I won and the year after, it was so freaking hard. It was harder than actually a normal. It's way year, harder than the know? first year when you win. Because all of a sudden now you have pressure and expectations and yeah. everything other than winning is a failure. There were actually multiple people that asked me after I won for the second time. They were like, you're not going to compete again, are you? You're not going to continue. Because now, like, because anything other than first place would be a failure. And I was like, that is so unfair. Because I still love doing this. And I still love competing. And I still love training. And should I have to quit just because I've won a couple of times? And because I may not be able to win again? Like... That's really unfair. So I decided that it didn't matter. Like with the years, I've definitely learned, I've grown and I've learned more and more how to compete and how to think. I still get nervous, like so nervous when I'm competing, but I kind of embrace it. And I also realized that I get to feel like this. Not everyone gets to experience it. And I've worked my ass off to get to feel like this. So I've learned to embrace that side of it as well. And I've learned that the worst thing possible, it's not not making it to the podium or not placing where you want to. I always compete to win. Like, that's just me. I always compete to win. But the absolute worst feeling ever is going out to the competition floor, competing, stepping off in, and feeling like you left something in the tank. Feeling like I could have gone faster. I was scared and I could have gone faster and I didn't. Because that is failure. That is so wrong. When you worked your ass off, like it's not easy training like I push myself in training and I embrace the pain in training because every time it's hard and it's painful I know I'm growing and I know I'm pushing my pain threshold and that's going to make me better when I compete and when you when you get to compete you get the reward of all of that hard work and you don't let yourself go as fast as you want to or take a chance you're not reaping the benefit of all of that hard work and it's yeah, it's one of the absolutely worst feelings ever. And that was me 2016. And I learned that the hard way. I was scared to push because I got a heat stroke the year before. And I was terrified of pushing too hard and getting another heat stroke. And that was all that went through my mind that you're competing. So I feel like I've learned the hard way, many of these things. But never again will I compete and not give it everything that I got. <laughs> it's, a very, it's a very mature reflection, Annie, you know? I'm sure it comes with age. Um, 
Have you worked with a mental coach throughout the years, like when CrossFit became more professional in order to deal with your, your mental strength, so to speak? After 2016, I realized that I had to work through this fear of a heat stroke. And I started working with a mental coach, found a guy in LA that teaches this, um, the university there, Lenny, he is, he's incredible. We have great conversations and we're able to work through that fear. Uh, and obviously a bunch of other things that we've been able to talk to. It's just good to like, I really enjoy talking about all of these things. Um, so yeah, he's definitely, he's definitely helped me a lot. And I would say anyone that's competing at the highest level should have someone, uh, to talk to about stress or nerves or training or pressure or because I was worried about motivation. I've talked about that with him, like all of these different things that people just also normal people talk about or get obsessed with. And I always have my side and then he has something like a little bit different to bring to the table and we can talk about it, negotiate or whatever that would be. <laughs> but usually it's, I know what it is that I need to talk about. I just need someone that's not, it's different to talk about it with your husband or your parents or your coach. Like they're always going to take my side and they're always going to say whatever they feel like I want them to say, but it's sometimes nice to have someone that's like impartial. I can just like give it to me as it is. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's not uncommon for, for top athletes to work with a mental coach, you know, and I think it's, um, what I've heard is quite common to, to feel afraid and very nervous before competitions and have some sort of, sort of level of anxiety. Um, I'm a big fan of martial arts and, and well, my, you, you probably know Mike Tyson, you know, when he was young and every, yeah. before every fight, he was so scared. He would go and cry, you know, cry and, and vomit before every fight. And then he would go out in the ring and then put on this mask and be the baddest man on earth, you know, and just not <laughs> out. but he was so afraid before every fight, you know? So. And it's nice that people can open up and talk about it because it makes it easier than for other people to then be like, okay, it's normal that I'm nervous too. And I appreciate totally that normal. from you, Annie. It's true. Like I applaud you for sharing. That. <laughs> of course. I actually, I, I should give my mom the credit of me starting to talk to this uh, sports therapist because after competing 2016, she was like, They've gone every single year. So I've competed at the CrossFit Games since 2009. And every single year, they have taken their summer, gone to LA or Madison, and watched me compete at the CrossFit Games every single year. And after that year competing, she was like, okay, we will not come next year if you do not talk to someone and work through your fear of uh, exercising in the heat because you're going to have to compete in the heat again. So I know how much it hurts you and we will not come unless you work on it. She was just making sure that I would actually talk to someone. 
I love that. But it was good. I'm very grateful for that. I was like, okay, I will do this. <laughs> no, that support, you know, they supported you yes. from day one when you were born, uh, like pushing you out of your comfort zone, but now also supporting you in a different <laughs> way when you probably didn't know you needed it. Absolutely. They, yeah, it takes as much toll on them as it does on me, probably, or yeah. even more when I fail at something that I work so hard at when, when I feel uncomfortable or when I don't do as good as, as I should be doing. That's probably the hardest. Like I've even thought about it with my own daughter. I'm like, I will support her no matter what she chooses to do. And it doesn't matter where you place in a competition. And I've come to realize that myself, like if I place first, obviously I'll be super happy, like the happiest. But if I place 10th and I did everything I could, like it's out of my control how good the other girls are. So that just means that I'm going to have to work a little bit harder, but it's the hardest to place 10th and know that you should be higher. Yeah. You know, Annie, when I've been watching the CrossFit games and you were mentioning before that <laughs> as long as you give 100%, of course, you're extremely competitive. You want to win at all costs. But I mean, from the TV, like, or from, you know, the computer, it seems that you and the other female athletes are competing against each other. It seems that you, it's not like, I don't know if you guys are friends, but it seems that you have at least a friendly atmosphere. You're not there to like kill each other, you know? And is it because everyone is so mature or does the picture speak the reality? Not you're only competing against yourself. (laughs) I think, I think we know the hard work that goes into this. And I think we all have respect for each other. I think that's the most important thing. I respect all the other girls and they deserve to be there just as much as I do. And when it comes to competing, yeah, I want to beat their ass. But out of the competition floor, doesn't matter what happens. We can be friends there. We're obviously not talking strategies and giving each other tips and stuff off the competition floor. But yeah, one of my ex- actually best friends is Katrin. And we're, yeah, big rivals when it comes to competing. Uh, she's one of my biggest competition. But I want to win, but I would love for her to be right there next to me in second place, you know? So I would never want to pull her down. <laughs> so just for those listening who don't, who, don't, who don't know who Catherine is, she's also one of the baddest women on earth. Uh, very, very <laughs> she's fit. also won the CrossFit Games twice. Exactly. She actually started her CrossFit career in my gym. She came into my gym and I coached her and pushed her to compete. <laughs> you, you now I'm like, why did I push her to compete? <laughs> yeah, you essentially built your biggest rival. <laughs> uh, but also my best friend, and we both made each other grow so much as athletes and as persons. So It's impressive that you guys can have that relationship, you know? Because, you know, if you look at Formula One or tennis or other like individual sports, you don't yeah. see like Federer hanging out with Nadal, you know, or with Djokovic, you know? No, and I used to have a hard time training too much with girls because I'm just so competitive and I don't want to have to compete every single time. And also for me, 
like Katrin, it wouldn't work for us to train together every single day. Like we would die <laughs> um, mentally and physically, but it's so good for us to train together every time that we can. Like she lives in Boston and I live in Iceland. She comes to Iceland very often and I try to go to visit her in Boston, but, and we talk together all the time about our training and about our lives, but it's so good to be able to push each other. And we both know that we're going to gain so much from this that if I push her a little bit in this workout, she's going to push me a little bit in the other workout and we're both we're both going to reap the benefit from it. And we're both going to enjoy the training so much. If I see her lift a heavy weight, I'm going to be like, well, if she can do it, I can do it too. So it's, it's a win-win. And she's also just really fun to be around. So we can laugh and have fun and be a little bit light in training. Um, and then come competition, we're still really good friends at the games. I don't understand how it, how it works so well, to be honest. Um, And it's obviously not like that with all the girls at the CrossFit Games, but I would say all the girls at the CrossFit Games, I I respect the same as I respect Katrin. And therefore, I would never wish for any harm. Like, I don't wish for them to fail. I don't wish for them to get injured. I I just want to outperform them, you know? I don't want to win someone when they're heard i want to win them when they're at their best because that means that i'm better if that makes sense it's very it's a very humble approach you know annie well thank you (laughs) i'm like it sounds weird when i'm saying it but it's what it is (laughs) yeah i mean that's your your personal philosophy and it's great no huh What's getting the, getting more and more mature. Yes, I mean it comes with the. <laughs> but it's been like that for a few years. <laughs> <laughs> What's the difference of making it number two or number one on the podium? Because we've been on both spots. What's the difference? Um, being. I don't know. The difference is probably more things going according to plan i guess everything just aligns right you make fewer mistakes like there's always gonna be like i said you don't want to walk from the floor feeling like you didn't give it all you had but there's always gonna be this event where you feel like you were judged wrongly uh or something like that comes up and I've learned to come to terms with it's it's gonna be like that every year, but everyone else is also gonna have one of those events. Um, when you win, you most likely don't get one of those events, and you're peaking at the perfect time, and your mindset is in the right place throughout the whole competition. You're not. You're not getting overly stressed about how the points are, about the next event after this one. You're not getting hung up on like, well, you're competing and you know that there's another event. You're like, oh my God, I don't want to. If I go harder here, then I might ruin something for this. It's like you go one event at a time and you just focus on that one. 
And when that is done, it's done. You push it away and you get on to the next one. And just everything aligns correctly. Your body's feeling good. It's like sore, but you're not hurt anywhere. You're not feeling any injury or nagging or anything like that. You're just ready to go every single time you go out to the floor. Yeah, it's very small details. Yeah, very small details. it's going to be really small, small details that yeah. differentiate there. Um, Annie, not many women have a six pack. <laughs> oh, and many women and young girls out there, they're afraid to get broad shoulders and a six pack by starting to train or by training too much. <laughs> what would you say to them? Um, I would say, don't worry, you're not going to wake up all of a sudden and have a six pack and huge shoulders. <laughs> okay. I will be furious if you do. <laughs> um, I train four to five hours a day and I've done so for multiple years. Um, my six pack, I think is also quite a bit just has something to do with genetics because I had a six pack since I was eight years old. I've had a six pack and I've had it throughout my whole life. Um, yeah, it's, it's going to take a lot, a lot, a lot of hard work and commitment, uh, to get that and to get broad shoulders or get strong, um, like show muscles and the like you're gonna it's hard because when you start getting stronger and feeling stronger it's not gonna just show right away it's gonna come gradually 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 and it's really difficult for women to build a lot of lot of muscles i do also think it has something to do with genetics but like obviously for the ones that want to it's going to be a lot of commitment and you're going to have to work really hard for it but i just really hope that women girls young older menopause post-menopause like we we need to lift weights we need to. It's significantly harder for us than for men to maintain muscle mass. And we need this, as, especially as we grow older, if we want to continue to move and play and do what we want to do. We need this to have strong bones. We need this to play with our kids and move around. And I'm guessing everyone wants that freedom and independency to be able to do so. And research are just showing more and more that we need to be doing this. And you don't have to worry about waking up with a bunch of muscles. That's, it's going to take really long. <laughs> no, I think that's great, great advice. You know, uh, the reason why I, I wanted to ask that question is because I, I, I train, I've always trained my entire life, you know, from table tennis to, um, to now CrossFit and Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. And I work with a lot of very strong women, but, and I mean, just throughout my life, I've always, you know, when, when I'm conversing or speaking to some girls or women, that always comes up. They're like, well, I don't want to <laughs> train too much because I'm, I don't want to have strong like shoulders or I don't want to get the strong bicep, you know? And I think all of them, or I hope all of them want to get strong shoulders or strong biceps, but they just don't want to get too big muscles. Yeah. But yeah, you're 
You're right. I hear it as well. I hear it less and less. And there's more and more women that are like, want to get muscles, get a little bit toned, like that I'm not talking about that they want to necessarily look like I am. That's whatever it is that you want. I am not doing this for the looks. I'm doing it because I want to get stronger and stronger and faster and fitter because I'm competing. Um, but it's, yeah, it's, I don't want to say that it's silly because obviously you have the right for you, for your feelings, um, and your fears, but it's an unnecessary fear because it's not going to happen like that. I can tell you it's not going to happen like that. It takes a very, very long time and you're going to feel it gradually happening. And then just stop. If you feel like you're getting too big, just stop then once you have some of that strength that you've built. But for most people, it's going to be, or most women, it's going to be as soon as you start getting stronger, you feel that empowerment and you feel the pride of that hard work that you've put into your body to make it into a stronger vessel for yourself. And you're going to start wanting to do more and more. Just you yeah. wait. <laughs> I, I love that. I, I agree 100%. So. <laughs> um, I mean, we're speaking about bodies now, Annie, and uh, many men and women have prejudiced and preconceived thoughts about fit body types and especially CrossFit athletes. What would you say to them? What do you mean? Like a lot of, uh, I'm saying both men and women, they might say, mm -hmm. well, women are not supposed to, to look like that. Why yes. are they so fit? Why, why do they have a six pack? Why do they have like so strong shoulders? <laughs> In my opinion, if a man feels like that about a woman, it says more about him than it does about the woman. That's insecurity that you're putting on the women. Mm -hmm. um, for women... I'm not going to say what's, what you should look like. We should all, I think we should focus less on what we look like and more what we can do and what we want to be capable of doing. And I think the most important thing is to be strong enough for yourself to carry your own weight And to be able to carry excess load because of the things that we need to do in our daily, daily life. We want to make sure that we don't have pains, that our back is strong enough, that we're not feeling pains in our back, that our legs are strong enough, that we can do a squat and pick things up and do a deadlift and put our luggage in the overhead bins when we start traveling again, you know? But it's everyone's own perception of what they think is healthy and what I think is healthy is my my own my own opinion and we all need to kind of make up our own minds about it um I for me healthy is just fueling your body enough and right fuel that you're going to feel good and you're going to have energy throughout the whole day you're not being, having those steps, slows up and down for most or a lot of women were actually eating too little and too much of maybe the wrong things and too little of the good things that we need. 
And it's not always if you want to lose weight that you need to eat less. You might actually need to eat more, but just more of the right things that you need at the right times. Um, so I don't want the focus to be too much on that. And for me, healthy is just treating your body as the temple that it is, fueling yourself right, and being able to move around and exercise. You don't have to have a lot of muscle. You don't have to be skinny. You don't have to. You don't have to do be or look like anything as long as you are happy in your own skin and you can do everything that you want to and have energy for it. You're healthy, right? Like I feel like that should kind of be the measurement for it. And we're so often, so many of us want to look different. And we're always striving for something different. And I've even been like that myself. At one point, I wanted to get rid of my six pack, um, especially when I was in high school and I put on a pretty dress. But there in between, I was like, I worked my ass off. And this is my rewards. Like, this is what I look like because I worked my ass off. The scars that I have on my shins, that's a part of me and it's just scars that represent my story and the work that I've put into my body and there's always things that we might want to change but we should try to embrace it and just be happy with ourselves the way that we are and even if we want to lose weight that's perfectly fine it doesn't mean that you don't love yourself as you are. You can still continue and strive for wanting something different. Like I want to get stronger, but let's not get consumed by it. Also enjoy the journey. And that's one of the things that I've learned also from competing at the games this many years is that it's very seldom the end goal that is the most important thing. Me standing on the podium winning the CrossFit Games, yes, oh my God, it's, it was absolutely incredible. But the journey that took me there, that was incredible. The people that were with me there, that made it feel incredible. And I feel like we're always striving for something another goal, another goal. And we should keep goals because that's what keeps us motivated. But I think we need to give ourselves also the opportunity to enjoy while we're heading towards that goal, whether it's financial, lose weight, get stronger, whatever it is, it's, we should live our days and enjoy them. It's fun to go to the gym and meet up with your friends. It's, it's fun to sit down, make the right decisions and work your ass off and get the money increasing in your bank account or get the raise a job or whatever it is. It's like, let's not lose sight of also just living. I feel like I see it so much around me, especially with our phones and recording everything. People in a concert with their phone constantly on. I'm like, just be in the moment too. Like, yes, record one thing. But seriously, are you going to be watching this? Are you really going to sit and watch this later? You're going to enjoy it so much more. Just soak it in. 
and trying to do that also in our lives, just soak into the experiences and try to enjoy the process on the way there. Sorry, that was like a super long rant, but it's just, I really want people to, to start enjoying their journeys more. No, I, I love that. And, you know, like I said before this chat, I want you to, to feel free, talk freely. I mean, we're just having <laughs> casual chat. We just have thousands of people that might be listening to this. But, <laughs> and I'm, I'm, I'm just processing everything that, that you've been saying, uh, Annie. And um, That was going agree. from body image, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, that's why it's taking me like half a minute to process it. But um, yes, I think the comments, like to talk about bodies. Yes, I think I agree. I think um, those comments might come from insecurity, immaturity as well, uh, in many cases. Um, then when it comes to enjoying the journey and, uh, and versus the end result, I, I think that's true more than ever, you know, with social media today, everyone wants to have that car, that beautiful house, that job, or being the number one on the podium. But do they want to wake up at four or 5 a.m. in windy and cold Iceland and go to, 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 to take, go out and take the car and it's ice cold out, go to a cold gym and be there alone? I don't think a lot of people want to do that, you know, because that's no. the price. You yes, know? That's, that's a part of the reality. It's we show true. the best on Instagram. Exactly. Remember that. Well, yeah. I don't only show the best. I try to show everything on Instagram because I think it's important that people also see the truth, also the hard things, and also the failures because we all have them and we wouldn't succeed if we didn't have failures. It's That's true. usually where you learn the most, to be honest. I agree with you. I love your social media, especially your Instagram account. My wife too, you know? Like, yeah, Thank she's you. so inspirational. I'm so jealous. You know, I wish I could be in the interview. <laughs> like, but, but no, I, I find I love it because it's real, you know, because on social media, you can be anyone. Yes. And many people choose to be somebody else, you know. And I mean, I don't yeah. know you personally, but I like the different sites that you show on social media. Thank you. Yes, I, I try I, to. I want to have it positive. So I want to like inspire people. Uh to want to go train and work hard and people like food recipes or whatever that is or a workout. But I also think it's important that you share some of the, when you're sharing the ups, that you share, share some of the downs too. That's it's just true. For them to feel like they're not alone. I feel like yeah. more than ever with COVID and everything, people are feeling more and more isolated and more and more alone. But honestly, like everything that we go through, someone else has or is going through as well. We are never alone. It's true. It is true. Um, I wanted to ask you something that is not discussed often. Um, okay. And but as an athlete myself, I know that every single per percentage of preparation is key and that, that it helps for the end result, right? So let's imagine you're, you're competing in the CrossFit Games. We're sitting in Madison. Um, you have trained the entire year for it. Uh, cold mornings in Iceland, snowstorms, windy weather. 
cold gyms uh, where only you've been training by yourself. You've been lonely some mornings. And now you just woke up in your hotel room in Madison. You're going to go and compete. And you realize you're going through your menstrual cycles. What's the first thought that crosses your mind? Damn, I planned this wrong. (laughs) I try to schedule it correctly. To be honest, I try to make sure that that does not happen. <laughs> okay, so that's part of like your planning then. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. I've obviously had the incidents where I'm like, oh my gosh, we're leaning into it. I'm like, we didn't think about this and I didn't calculate this correctly. So I need to like take stoppers or something. But I always try to, I, I don't compete while I'm having my period. I try to make sure that does not happen. That's interesting because I, I, before this conversation, I was thinking of that and I don't know if you remember, but this topic was brought up in the previous Olympics when there was a Chinese (laughs) swimmer and she apologized to her country and her fans because she only got the third place because she, she had her periods. So she couldn't give a hundred percent. She said, well, that sucks. Yeah, it was. Yeah, because you definitely can feel a difference, for sure. But yeah, you can you can try to try to schedule it. Obviously, it depends on if you're on a birth control or not, and it's easier to schedule if you're on a birth control. Um, but there's there's definitely some ways. Okay. <laughs> I don't know if this is where I should be sharing mine, but you women can figure that out themselves. <laughs> okay. I was just curious. I was like, okay, let's see how a, how a champ really does it, you know? And but Yeah. Okay. No, I I schedule in. I'm I'm not really shy about it. So me and my coach we talk about it and we we follow it along. Actually, now we even have like an app where I put everything in and he sees it on his end as well, so we can try to schedule my training accordingly as well because during certain periods of the cycle, you're going to be, it's easier to build strength and go hard in certain things. And then at another period of the cycle where that's not as, as easy and you're maybe not as, as strong or like, I'm still as strong, but I might not be in like PR conditions. We work more on certain parts of the like longer conditioning and stuff. So it's always, it's like things that we can, work around and figure out how to get the most bang for the buck. Like at this point at every single detail matters yeah, and you need to fuel differently at certain times, like certain periods of the cycle, you need carbs in training at others. You need more just protein. Like it's, yeah, we're constantly learning. Yeah. You're planning every single detail. Huh? Nothing is being left. Yeah, untouched. I hope so. I hope yeah. so. Yeah. Annie, I want to switch lane. Uh, you recently gave birth to a wonderful baby girl, uh, yes. Freya. And yes. I love the name because I love old Viking history and what this name <laughs> stands for. Goddess, um, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. And you have done some extremely <laughs> impressive things and tough things in your life. You know, Hell Week on Iceland and I mean, all these endurance races and CrossFit games. What made giving birth the hardest thing you ever did? Uh, I guess because it was so out of my control. I know, I know how my body works and 
I know how to push myself and what I'm allowed to and what not. And I can feel it. Um, giving birth is like, I, it's hard to know until you do it, you know? <laughs> so it was, it was definitely one of the hardest thing I've ever done because it was a very difficult birth. Uh, I was in labor for a very, very long time. Um, I think all of that, like, I would have forgotten it. Like people say, as soon as you get the baby in your arms, you forget everything, you forget the pain. And I definitely would have forgotten it. Even if it was three days of labor and hours of pushing, um, I would have forgotten it if it wouldn't have been for having to go into like the emergency, um, ready for like an emergency C-section and having to use a vacuum to get her out. And like, it was, yeah, it was, it was a brutal, brutal birth. And looking back, they probably should have put me in C-section. They, the doctors even say so themselves. I probably should have been put in C-section sooner. Um, but thankfully things went okay. And my girl is healthy and happy and doing great. Um, but it's taken me a really long time to recover from it. Um, I'm still not fully recovered. We just, she just turned nine months old and I am not fully recovered yet. Uh, so it's taken me a very long time um, uh, for just the pelvic floor to heal up. And I lost a lot of blood and just had, I think the best way for me to look at it is as an injury. And because I know how to treat an injury and I know how to overcome an injury. And in the beginning, I didn't know how to look at it like that. It was so foreign to me and out of my control. But now it's just it's like building up a muscle and it's getting stronger and stronger and learning to listen to my body and all of that. Uh, so that was because it was so out of my control and not knowing what what to expect and things going so far away from plan um that's probably what made it made it so difficult thank you for opening up on that danny yeah of course i feel like um the more i've shared about it the more women i've potentially helped to feel like they're not alone and some of the feelings and the things that they've gone through. And I actually just opened up about also postpartum depression. Um, I definitely didn't um, have a severe one or anything like that, but I've always been so happy. And it takes, if I go into a bad mood, it's, it's funny. It, it takes a couple of minutes and you can turn me around and have me laughing again. Um, it's a little like, it's just funny because I see the difference in me and my husband or whatever, like, or I need to give him a little bit of space and he needs to just deal with it. And then he's going to be fine for me. It's like, no, no, don't give me space. Don't have me along with my thoughts and feelings. I'll just get grumpy about it. Just come over, give me a piece of chocolate or tell me a joke or something. And I'll just start laughing like, and be fine and get over it. Um, but I think just 
the birth going the way that it did, uh, me obviously not having any energy because I lost so much blood and not being able to take a shower by myself and needing assistance to go to the bathroom and not being able to carry Freya around. Like I could only lie and have her and I couldn't sit because I was so messed up. Um, all of these things adding together with not sleeping because, um, well, I've been away for three days, uh, trying to give or leading up to birth. And then after that traumatic experience, I didn't really sleep either. And then every time Freya made a sound, like I just, I was so worried about her. I didn't know what to do. I was just so worried about her. So I hadn't slept for five days. And then you also get like just disoriented, you know? Um, I, I started being really down. I felt like I was never going to be myself again. And I didn't want to eat any food. Usually food makes me happy too. And having treats or ice cream or something, I wanted nothing. I didn't want to eat anything. The only reason I ate was to make sure that I would have milk for Freya, but I had no appetite for it. I didn't want to watch TV because I didn't see the point of it. I just wanted like the only time I was happy was when I was holding my baby girl. Um, so I just wanted to hold her all the time, which meant that I couldn't really sleep either. Then finally I got three and a half hours of sleep. I just pumped and I gave her to Frederick and I was like, I need to do something. And I slept for three and a half hours and I woke up like a different person. I saw colors again and I started feeling like I was going to, maybe be happy and like feeling like me again. Um, and it, it was, it was like a couple of days that it took me to kind of get out of it. And I think also with COVID and just women can get a little bit isolated after you give birth. If you're at home, you're tired, you're just you and your baby. And You, especially with a first kid, it's like, it's such a big change to your life. Then at least for me, I felt like I lost myself a little bit. Like I wanted to be there for Freya, but I felt like I was not going to be me again. And I knew I wasn't going to be able to exercise for at least five, six weeks. And that's such a big part of me, the endorphins of doing so. I trained all the way through my pregnancy and just feeling like I might never, never become the same. Um, and then just going out of the house, seeing that there was a world out there changed then like getting those couple of hours of sleep and seeing the universe. I'm like, the world is still here. Like things are going to become the same. It's an injury that I just need to gradually work my way through. But I know how to do that. And I just needed a plan and I needed something to uh, work towards. We need goals. We need that. And it showed me how much we need that. Having a plan and looking, looking for more things as well that we're doing other than just, just that one mission. You know what I mean? Yeah, it may sound I, I a little totally, bit weird. But. No, I totally understand. Like you all, you're looking. Of of course, you're looking for to look forward to take care of your your daughter or your child. But 
I mean, you want, you've always had a purpose, like a meaning yes. every day. Like, yeah. hey, I need to train because I want to achieve X, right? And now you're just given birth and you don't have that. The biggest part of your life, which is fitness, has been taken away from you. So what yes. is there else to do? And I understand. Except for just taking care of my baby. And I will never say that that's not enough, but it's not enough. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I want something more. <laughs> But I was there for her and I would always be there for her. And I'm so, oh my God, I'm so grateful that I didn't have the postpartum depression that some women have had where they might even start resenting their kid. And thankfully Freya didn't cry hardly at all, which was incredible. Um, But yeah, I'm so grateful for that. And I can't imagine women that need to go through that. Um, So the reason I decided to share this was to hopefully help women feel like they're not alone and the response I've gotten have been incredible to it as well. And it's not something that we should be ashamed of or feel uncomfortable to talk about because as soon as I talked about it with Frederick and my mom, the way that I was feeling, it helped so much being able to cry, being able to talk about it, being able to talk about my birth, being able to talk about my feelings and emotions. It's, it's so important for us to feel like we're not alone. Obviously they didn't go through the same, but Frederick obviously had a little bit of traumatic experience as well, going through the whole thing, being there with me and then opening up and sharing I got messages from women that have gotten through the same and then I didn't feel as alone. And then I realized that I could help even more by just sharing my story. So that's what I'm hoping this is going to do. And also for women to realize that being coped up is not the best, best thing after giving birth. Obviously you need to rest and you need to recover like for sure. But then as soon as you can start walking, Go outside with the stroller, go outside, fresh air, see other people. Don't isolate yourself. Like that's, I don't think that's going to be good for anyone. Yeah. Get some perspective on life and yes, exactly. Your other stories and other perspectives. Yeah. I have just a few more questions, Annie, that (laughs) I know that we're going a little bit over time, but uh, no worries. I talk a lot and yeah, we're I'm, digging, we're digging deep here. Yes. I'm really enjoying <laughs> it by the way. I hope you're enjoying it too. Absolutely. Thank you. How was it? We're speaking about body change now. How was it to get used to your new body? Because fitness is your life. Um, I'm not going to lie. It was really difficult in the beginning. I had a huge belly, uh, pregnant with Freya, like a very big belly. And I was fine with that. And I didn't really care about people commenting on the belly. It's funny. People are like, let's stop commenting on other pregnant women's belly. Like, oh, it's so big. Oh, it's so small. I didn't really care. Like, it is what it is. And my girl then just has plenty of space, you know? (laughs) Um, But the issue with it being so big and stretching so much meant that it took a really long time for it to heal up properly. And it's still, it's still not properly healed up. I still have abdominal separation that I'm still working on. Um, 
And that is what it is. Like it will take time and maybe it will never heal up properly. Who knows? Um, but every time I think about it, I think about it was worth it. You know, like I would do it all again to have her. Um, but yeah, after giving birth, it was really difficult because looking in the mirror, I just felt like I didn't recognize my body. You know, it was somehow when you have a big belly, it has a meaning like you're growing a life in there after giving birth and still having a belly, but it's like, it's so freaky to touch. It's like all soft and it's all empty. My stomach has always been firm, but there it was like, I felt like I could just move my intestines around, you know, because also the intestines, they're still like trying to find their place again. Like they move around all over to make space for the baby. And then they're like gradually settling in and going back to the right places. And like, this is really freaky. We're animals, you know, (laughs) even though we behave like we're not, we are. And feeling that and looking at it, it was like, that was really, really difficult for me. And it took some time for that to heal up and uh, recover properly. And I remember probably four weeks after giving birth, me and Frederick went to look at some houses and we're taking Freya with us. Like Freya is in the car seat with us. and. This woman goes like, oh, so how far along are you? I'm like, what the fuck? (laughs) Are you kidding me? I'm like, no, I gave birth a month ago. That was a little bit awkward. Um, I was like, seriously, do you think that I have this tiny little baby girl and now I'm pregnant with the next one? Like, I was not that big, you know? Yeah, I was not that big. (laughs) But it helped me laugh at it, though. It helped me start laughing at the situation. Um, and I remember talking to so many of my friends that have given birth and many of them have still not gone to the pool again after giving birth. They haven't wanted to put in a bikini again because they don't want to show their stomach. And it had been over a year for some of them. And I was like, Dude, no one is going to be looking at you. We're all way too occupied thinking and looking up, uh, like looking at ourselves and thinking about ourselves that no one is going to be looking at you. And honestly, if someone judges you for having a soft skin or stretch mark from carrying a baby, they have issues. They have insecurity issues. And it's ridiculous to think that someone is going to judge you for that. And then I caught myself, me and Katrin, we were actually shooting a commercial in December. So I gave birth in August, August, September, October, November, December. So I had like three and a half months and we were shooting a commercial together and we were going to shoot a scene at the pool and with Katrin being super fit. And then me after giving birth, I was like, I don't. I don't think I've ever felt as uncomfortable putting on a bathing suit. And I was like, oh my God, I'm, I'm so ugly. Like my stomach is so ugly. This is horrible. And I'm white and like not in perfect shape. Like I don't want to shoot a commercial. People are not going to know that I just gave birth. Like 
they're not going to know that it's just been three, three and a half months since I gave birth. And then I was like, okay, this is ridiculous. I give other people advice not to think about this and not to care that it doesn't matter what other people think and that we should just embrace our bodies as they are. And I just gave a birth to a perfectly healthy, beautiful, happy baby girl. And now I'm insecure about putting a bathing suit on. So I decided to try to live by my own rules. I just like, screw it. It doesn't matter. Put it on. We shoot the commercial and I'm just going to be happy and I'm going to be proud of my body and everything that is done. It took, it took me saying that to myself out loud and making that conscious decision. Um, but if I'm going to say something and try to give people advice, I'd better also live by it. Um, so after that, I've started being able to embrace it. Just obviously I'm not like, oh yes, hopefully don't go together and don't heal up. Obviously I'm working towards having it heal up, but it will take the time that it needs. And that is what it is. I'm grateful for my body and everything that is done for me. So I'm not going to be upset that it needs a little bit longer to recover from being pregnant and giving birth than some other, some other people. And I know there's also women, more women than take longer. We're all different and we need to take our time. There we go. Another rant. <laughs> no, I, I appreciate it. Though, uh, I was, um, thank you again for, for opening up. Um, and I think it's important because uh, the majority of our listeners, uh, are women, you know, and, um, many of them probably have given birth or are planning to give birth. So I think it's important that you share your story. And I think, yes, you are very inspirational to millions of people in the world. Um, and I think it's important that they hear that sometimes you have doubts too, you know, like I have, you know, like, yes, I try to inspire people, but of course I'm not feeling like Superman every day. Some days I have my down days too, you know, and I doubt my advices, you know, <laughs> you know, I mean, I think it's normal. We're humans, you know, that's why you should try to live by your advice. It's really funny how you do that. It's like, I tell my parents what they should do. I teach what other people should do. Obviously I do a lot of it. I think about my diet. I think about my training and all of that, but it's, it's funny how some of these advice are like, I would tell other people, but I'm going to do something different. <laughs> yeah. No, you have, to, you have to live with, by your own philosophy, you know. Exactly. Yeah, I think that's really important. But about advices, let's say that imagine you, your 95-year-old self traveled back to Reykjavik, Iceland, and came to you right now. What advice would this person give you? What would she tell you? I don't know, because I'm not there yet. Um, she's hopefully learned a lot along the way and is a very wise person. Um, I think she would tell me things that I, obviously, that I already know to be able to give myself that advice. But just thinking about me, my older self, giving my younger self advice would be what I've been saying now, like, enjoy the journey as well enjoy the small moments and enjoy the difficult parts too because that's where we're gonna grow and that's what we're gonna look back to and think about 
the decisions that we made. Be proud of the decisions that you make. And also learn from your mistakes, but don't constantly look in the rearview mirror and hope for something, regret things that you did, you know? Because we're, we're not going to learn anything from that either because we can't change the past. I started doing that a little bit with my injuries. Like oh, if I just wouldn't have gone to the gym that day, if I just wouldn't have done this or done that, like we can't change it. We can learn from it and make the decision to learn from it, but then we want to grow and continue forward. And I think that's important as well. Otherwise we forget to live. It's true. It's important to, to really live the moment, you know? Yeah. I'm not saying that you should be like every time you're having breakfast, like, oh my God, I'm having breakfast. Soak it all in, you know? But don't rush through life. It's true. Yeah. Like when Freya wakes up at 6 a.m. and I need to get up with her and I'm like, oh my gosh, why can you not sleep for longer, child? Like we get out and it's sunny and I put on some kids music and I make some breakfast and she's smiling and playing on the floor. I'm like, this is incredible. Like, this is my life. I get to experience this and I get to take in these moments. And when you feel like you don't want to go to the gym or you don't want to go train, I'm like, dude, I get to do this for a living. I get to go to the gym and have my passion as my way to make ends meet. Like I, I get to do these things when you feel like your friends have been calling and you're super busy and you're like, Oh my God, I have to call this person or I have to meet up with these guys. Like, no, you get to, you're fortunate enough to have these friends that care about you, that you get to go out and meet. It's the same things, but just a little bit of a different perspective and a different way of looking at it. Yeah. You mentioned breakfast. I'm curious about your morning routine. How? <laughs> I mean, I'm sure it has changed from being Annie, the, um, the fittest on earth versus Annie, the, the mother. But <laughs> roughly, how does the two first hours in your morning look like? And what do you usually eat for breakfast? So my breakfast has not changed. That's definitely the same. Um, I wake up earlier than I used to. It used to be that Frederick would wake up, make breakfast, and then he would wake me up when breakfast was ready. Um, oh, wow. Yes. Now it's we wake up when Freya wakes up. One of us maybe sleeps longer and the other one gets up and is with her. Um, she gets to drink. I make my I make screens and collagen protein um, together and I drink that. So that's going to be my first thing. The collagen protein I'm trying to take to help my uh, abdominals get together and my muscles like recover properly. Um, and greens just because we never eat enough greens, I think. Uh, so just getting some of the micronutrients from that. Then I start making my breakfast and that's always um, oatmeal uh, that I make with almond milk and a little bit of water and salt. And then I put salted roasted almonds on top of it and raisins. And then I have two fried eggs. Okay. So 
Yeah, that's been that, my breakfast for like years. It sounds delicious. You know, fun. It's fact, amazing. Uh, yeah, it sounds delicious. Um, by the way, do you drink coffee as well today? No, I don't drink coffee. I've never okay. been able to drink coffee. I don't like the taste. I can't even have tiramisu or cakes that have coffee flavor. I just can't do the coffee taste. <laughs> oh, wow. That's, I mean, okay, mo most CrossFitters drink coffee because you need to yeah. stay energetic, you know, to train. I have pre-workout. Okay. I have my pre-workout before training. That keeps you on fire, I'm sure. Yeah, that's get, that gets me happy. <laughs> yes. uh, yeah, actually, fun fact. I was watching this YouTube documentary uh, as a preparation for this. Um, and you, had, you were describing exactly what I was seeing you were eating. <laughs> the fried eggs and the, you know, and the, the oatmeal and almond milk, so... There we go. I'm not lying. That's the yeah. breakfast every morning. Nothing has changed. So. That's what I get excited about going out of bed. Yeah, I love breakfast too. It's my favorite meal. So good. We sometimes have breakfast two times a day. Second oh. breakfast, the best. I never tried that. <laughs> that's actually, that's a good advice. Yeah. When you're tired coming home from training and you don't feel like making something complicated, just make another portion of oatmeal and eggs. It's true. Yeah, wow. that's a good one. <laughs> okay, wow, I, I was able to give you one advice. No, <laughs> it's true. It is true. Um, Annie, I had such a blast. This was so much fun. Um, I really enjoyed it. And thank you. Me too. This was fun. Okay. Where can people find more about you online, and where can they go and say hello to you on social media? And is there anything spe specific that you would like them to check out? No, not really. Like I said, I'm myself on Instagram. No one takes care of my social media. So yeah, it's me, Annie Thorstadter on Instagram. I also have mother of a daughter on Instagram. That's more just me sharing fun things with Freya or something. Um, not as active on that one. And then on Facebook, just Annie Thorstadter. And then YouTube, I think I'm Annie Thorstadter too. And there's this like, instructional videos there maybe for training and some some workouts and day in a life with freya and stuff so that's more if you want to get to know me on a deeper level <laughs> i love that thank you for sharing that annie it's really been a pleasure to have you on the show i hope you had a lot of fun i definitely did thank it was you definitely fun thank you for listening to fika with rice i hope you enjoyed the show who do you want to have on our show let us know by sending me an email at frederick at absoluteinternship.com. And before you go, if you like this conversation, don't forget to subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, YouTube, or Spotify to get to listen to more inspirational stories and life hacks. We really appreciate it. See you next time and much gratitude for listening.